Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast today. And today I have a gentleman calling in from Los Angeles. He is a major producer in the TV business. His name is Arthur Smith got a new book coming out. I want to welcome Arthur to the show. How are you doing, sir? Good to see you, John, and uh, great to be here. Looking forward to this. And talking about being a producer, you said that Dick Clark brought you over here from Canada and mm-hmm. kind of stayed here, been here over 30 years. And tell me a little bit about that thought process when that first happened and a guy like Dick Clark reaches out. What that make you feel like? Well, the key word is reach, which is the name of the book <laughs> that's coming out on June 6th is now available every for pre-order. See how I got my plug in early. That's um, you know, my my life and my career has you know been a series of reaches, and uh, that's what inspired me to write the book. You know, I had a lot of early breaks in my life, but when I was when I was very young, I kind of subconsciously learned the power of reach, the power of extending yourself, and I kind of a uh, kind of applied to it. Like I said, applied that power of reach throughout my life, and when I talk about it, it's like. I believe when you reach, you find out what you're capable of. When you reach, you realize the the difference between a you know a pipe dream and what you haven't dared to try just yet. So prior to getting that phone call from Dick Clark, I had a crazy run in Canada where I started producing and directing when I was 22 years old. So there's a whole story about that in the book. You know, I produced the Los Angeles Olympics when I was 24 years old and had spent you know three months in LA. And I said someday I'll be back. And I I don't know how. I don't know, but I really liked LA, and uh, it was great because I was. When I was doing the Olympics, I was actually, I wasn't a tourist. I was actually working in LA. So I kind of got the feel of it. And then somehow after the Olympics, I had this crazy, you have to have mentors in your life. I had a mentor at the CBC, which was where I was working, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And they made me president of the sports division. I mean, I was 28 years old and talk about a reach. Talk about like, I, you know, I knew something about producing, but you know, when you're running a sports division, there's a lot, there's a lot more that comes with that job and negotiating contracts and marketing and PR. But, uh, you know, I had people who believed in me. It started to get a lot of attention. And I started to get restless, which which is me by nature. And I decided that I wanted to get out of sports programming. And I was actually on a survey for the Winter Olympics in France for CBC. And I was looking at companies in Hollywood that that I felt like would be a good transitional job for me. And I wrote this letter in the middle of the night in France to Dick Clark. And it was a five-page rant of a letter. And he wrote me back. And he said, I'm really impressed with what you've done. And uh, I'd like to meet you. And I, I flew down to LA. And um, Dick and I spent two hours together, uh, which was the longest meeting I ever had with Dick Clark uh, after that. And um, he goes, I have no idea what to do with you, but I but I, I really like you. And he called me the next morning. He says, I'm going to call you in three weeks. And it was uh, it was weird. I got a message. I remember, I never forget getting the message on my answering machine. That, you know, it's Dick Clark, that unmistakable voice. And um, he said, I, I'm creating a job for you. I want you to come down here and help me grow my business. I know you want to do other things besides sports. Yeah, I moved here in March of 1990. And Dick was a great mentor. And I've got a ton of Dick Clark stories. And but uh, it was funny because Dick told me a story um, years later <laughs> uh, where he said that 
you know, when I was asking around about you, I called one of my friends in Canada, this someone who distributed all our programming, this guy by the name of Harold Greenberg, who owned a number of Canadian cable channels and was kind of like a mogul in Canada. He actually produced movies like Porky's. But anyhow, Harold Greenberg was this guy. And Dick called Harold. He goes, you know about this guy, Arthur Smith? And Harold said to Dick, I'm about to hire Arthur. I'm going to offer him a job. And Dick said, oh, thank you very much. And Dick called me and offered me the job. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of uh, the impetus, I guess. And and like I said, I had a, I had a great time with Dick. And 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 he was he was a great mentor. And and uh, we did you know award shows and variety shows. And it really was my transition from Canada to the U.S. and from sports entertainment. Little did I know that I'd end up back in sports again. But that's a whole other that's a whole other story. So. Sorry, long answer. When you think about the word reach, is that what does that mean to you? Because um, that's interesting to me that your book is called that. You think about reach. Is that uh, having a positive mindset? What does that visually look like when you think about you know this direction? You know, you you went with this book. Well, to me, it's like reaching beyond what you think you can do to find out that you can actually do it. You know, it means about, to me, it means about extending yourself. And like I said, there was, some, you know, I grew up a very, very, very shy kid. And, and I, you know, when I tell people about that, they find it very hard to believe because I'm kind of outgoing, very outgoing right now. And there was something that happened to me when I was younger, the stories in the book, you know, something happened to me and I, and, and, and where I had to come out of my shell and I had, I had no choice but to extend myself. And it was act like a typical Canadian boy. It happened, it happened on the rink. It happened playing hockey. And it was so, so unusual for me to have this moment. And like I said, I subconsciously absorbed it and, and it just gave me confidence. And I started to extend myself. And then I realized the more I tried, the luckier I get, which is what I, I say this all the time. The more you try, the luckier you get. If you can visualize it, you can do it. Listen, I've, you know, uh, when I look back on my career, it's filled with a lot of great moments. And, but you know, I've had my disappointments and, and not everything always works out, but I always believe everything's meant to be. But the key, the key to me is, Putting yourself out there is is not being afraid to make not not being afraid to be vulnerable, not being afraid to make mistakes, not being afraid of failure, and reaching. And yeah, that's 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 well, what it's I. A, it's a very um, linear process because I, I have this ration. I'm a clairsentient, where I like however you perceive things, I'll perceive things times twenty. Mm -hmm. So like if you're asked one question, I'm asked the other. I may respond a little more dramatically if you will. But if you think about that, it's kind of linear to society because of this other rationale of understanding your subconscious and, and having a, I've been on this kick about a positive mindset mm -hmm. and, and people realizing that, you know, your subconscious is being programmed when we're born. Correct. And then, and then we start responding to things in life with our unconscious bias. And, and, and if you can keep that programming positive, mm -hmm. uh, it speaks to what you're saying you know, things can play out how you want them to play out. And a lot of people don't understand that because, and that's why they never re get the consciousness because right. they don't understand how deep that programming is. Uh, it may be very, very negative. There may be too yeah. much programming there. So actually that's a very, very linear, uh, universal thought process, if you will. Cause to me, you seem like, and I'm a, they call me the reluctant shaman as well, reluctant <laughs> shaman that I don't, I don't do the reluctant shaman stuff, but I have those abilities yeah. I don't like sell that or anything. Okay. But I have those abilities. But to me, if you were doing like the Olympics at 24, you probably have like a very strong engineering mindset mm -hmm. um, and rational mindset, I would think. Mm -hmm. Very intel, mm -hmm. high, very high intelligence uh, there uh, because it, I mean it's very to get a response from Dick Clark 
Yeah. That's huge to get that response. And, you know, when you look at doing a project, what is your, like a passion project? What is your approach to doing a project? You take an idea, mm-hmm. like you did Hell's Kitchen, correct? Before you did Hell's Kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, and produced that show, what, how did you think about that? And how did you frame that? moving forward mm-hmm. uh, to get that show done. Yeah. Well, I, I listen, I, we do a lot of different shows at our company, you know, from Hell's Kitchen to American Ninja Warrior to documentaries to docu-soaps, you know, you know, we're everything in the nonfiction genre. Uh, the one thing I wasn't well, at the time was a foodie. So when Fox, we were doing a lot of business with Fox at the time, we had a show called Paradise Hotel and we did a show called The Swan and we had this great run at Fox and uh, the executive at Fox, Mike Darnell, uh, had come to me and he said, I want you to take a look at um, this show who's doing a show in the UK called Hell's Kitchen. And uh, I said, you know, a food show on network television? And I said, there had never been a food show on network television at that point. People had tried. Uh, Mark Burnett had the restaurant, which lasted a couple seasons, but not much else, you know, um, because on network television, you got to be broad. You got to pull in a big audience and it's not not for foodies. So I said, uh, I don't know, Mike, I'll, yeah, I'll watch it. So I, you know, I watched, I watched the tape and I was blown away by Gordon. I was, I was blown away by Gordon Ramsay right away. I said, this is a special individual. He is, um, compelling in everything that he does. And, but I didn't like the show and, um, but I liked the title. I liked Hell's Kitchen. And I liked Gordon. So I went to Mike and I told him that I like the show. I like the title. He goes, what are you thinking? I said, I don't know. But I said, I tell you what, we got to make this broad because I'm not a foodie. So, uh, like I want, you know, we're on Fox. So we've got to find a way to not just appeal to foodies and make a cooking show. We need to make a show that other people connect to. Let's make So I really, I went into this little uh, mode that I have where I just started to think about, you know, the way to broaden it out. And uh, it was funny because there was one night I was actually sitting at a restaurant with my wife and, and I was, it was, it happened to be an open kitchen and I was watching the chefs and I was watching them work their butts off and I was watching them getting yelled at. I was watching the expedite expediting going on and it was like a game it was kind of like sports i know sports yeah. <laughs> and i started and i was like and then i realized that you know this is a world that we need to tell people about with gordon as the great master and and so we need to make a competition show where gordon finds the next the next great star and 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 even if you're not a foodie you can understand you know the the appeal of or relate to people fulfilling their dream and so you know, went back to mike and i said we need to build a restaurant we're gonna have two kitchens and yeah 80 robotic cameras. And, you know, he was looking at me like I had two heads. Um, and then eventually he said, you know, that's pretty good. And then I said, well, what do I do next? He said, well, you have to make a deal with ITV because they own the rights to Gordon in America at that time. And then it happened. I, I'm always, when I start a project, to me, it's always about television that makes you feel something or content that makes you feel something. And you have to get vested in character. So that's the things that I look for. And, and, and for me, when I saw those chefs working and I was thinking about them, I was thinking about their lives and who they were as people. And, and, and they became, when I really looked at it, they were, you know, very admirable soldiers trying to deliver something. And I said, we need to understand who these people are. And that's that's kind of when it changed. And then, of course, when you combine Gordon Ramsay with that, you have something. I didn't know in 2004 whether we would get to 22 seasons, though. You know, um, it was a, it was it's been a great ride. You said Mark, uh, Mike Darnell. I think I yes. pitched to Mike when he was doing American Idol. I think we went sure. over there with Graydon and pitched okay. in his office over there on the American Idol office. But that's a small world. I know but, it well. <laughs> but um when you come up with these hooks mm-hmm. uh, for these shows, that was always something. I was always a big picture 
thought process. I could recognize talent. Mm-hmm. I could say, here's a here's a big picture idea. But, you know, TV is about these hooks. How did you figure out hooks? You got to really figure out these hooks to be successful. And obviously, you must be a master at doing that because it's, it's very hard to get the networks in line with hooks and all these things. How, how did that thought process work for you? Well, you know, I've always been one of the I grew up as um, as someone who you know was a student of television very from, right from the very, very beginning. Television is my first love. You know, I've had, you know, two tours of duty in sports, CBC Sports, and later I ended up working at you know, Fox Sports before starting my company. I was at Fox Sports for four years. I was head of programming and production, but television is my first love. So I've been a student of it for a long time. It's it's funny. Um, part of, part of you know, I appreciate what you were saying about like having, a, you know, when you're doing an Olympics, you have to kind of have like an engineering kind of background. But some of my qualities that are not so good in my other life are really good for TV. I'm very OCD. I'm very impatient and I'm very restless. And so those qualities make for those are good to me are good qualities that help me as a producer yeah they make me a little challenged in my other in my other life because i'm just a restless guy you know i i believe in patient people get there fastest i'm always in a hurry there's a lot of analysis and and you know deep thinking and the wonderful thing about you know mike darnell who's a legend in our business is he's kind of crazy like me so we we just analyze it and we beat it up and we challenge each other until we feel like we have something that's going to connect but it always makes you feel it always you know you, you sometimes it's it's content that makes you mad sometimes it makes you sad sometimes it makes you happy but it's not boring it makes you feel something you know with hells we were able to dial into a format that uh was still authentic but there's key there's key foundational things that happen in every show you know and when i said it was like sports that there's there is kind of a pre-game a game and the post-game the pre-game is the preparation the challenges the build-up then there's the dinner service that's the game and then there's the post game, which is the fallout where they begin to analyze what they did and, and, you know, criticize each other or celebrate each other. And then Gordon ultimately decides what to do with it. I guess when you understand that part, you said something about Mike Darnell there, I think is very important for some of these young people, young people to understand because I, I, I have this thing where, you know, I'm always trying to help people mm-hmm. and no matter what it is, but my help, my interest of helping may come off very direct, very strong. Mm-hmm. It may, push young people back or or whatever it is and a lot of times i don't think young people uh they they don't respect you know uh, authoritative uh or leaders or intellectual people i don't think like maybe me and you would have respected people and kind of tried to emulate these people i don't know where that disconnect is and i think a lot of kids whoever whether you're trying to be a producer actor whatever it is i think they try to make things look because of that disconnect and not want to follow an intellectual person or leader, they kind of want to make everything perfect. And if young people understand it doesn't have to be perfect, like the top players like Mark Downell and yourself aren't perfect. They're a little bit crazy. They're a little bit off. Those are the people who do great things. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you have to sweat it out. You really have to sweat it out. And, and, uh, you know, Mike, um, you know, challenged us. I always believed as, as a producer, my job was to tell the truth. So we would, we would have these really good discussions. I wouldn't even call them battles, but these really, you know, very passionate discussions about the show where no one gets offended and, and everything is, you know, taken in the right way. And eventually you end up in a really good place. Um, and I think, I think it's, I, you know, I think what you're saying and, and I, and I do, I, I do, uh, I do get it. I do get what you're saying. It's like people really have to be open-minded and not be offended. And I think there's a lot of room that I, I believe that you can say anything to anybody as long as you, you're sincere and you're not attacking them personally. 
You're just talking about the work. It's like the way the way you know at our company, I I've tried, uh, and you know we've been doing it for 23 years, is to create an environment where anybody can say anything to anybody and not be afraid to say something silly or whatever because it's all good. It's all good, and sometimes the silly thing is the thing that you just take it back, you just tone it down a little bit, and all of a sudden you got genius. All of a sudden, you've done something that that you've never done before, um, and that's you know that goes back to reaching. You know, you know, Hell's Kitchen. There had never been a successful network food show, and when I first Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get thirty, thirty. Ready to get thirty, ready to get twenty, twenty, twenty. Ready to get twenty, twenty. Ready to get fifteen, 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 fifteen. Just fifteen bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We keep a lot of emotions bundled up inside in life, and sometimes we got to talk to people. I witnessed the benefits with my own two eyes. I have a close friend that was struggling with depression and felt like she had no one she could consistently talk to because of her busy schedule. She was matched with a therapist through BetterHelp. After several months of sessions, I've seen a tremendous change in her personality and in her life. If you're needing therapy and and want to get some of those things off your chest, it's entirely online and designed to conveniently work around your schedule and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Just fill out a questionnaire and they will align you with the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash unimpressed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash unimpressed. Heard the notion from Mike. I was like, I- I'm not sure I want to do this. I'm not a foodie and I don't I don't know. He goes, watch the tape. And it was more like schmuck, watch the tape. I went, okay. <laughs> and then and then the more I got into it, the more I realized that there was something there. And then we built, you know, built the foundation upon it. And American Ninja Warrior, you know, which is, you know, in our 15th season, which we're, we're, we're shooting right now, we're going to be on in June, um, was also a reach. They're, you know, an obstacle course show in prime time on NBC. That makes no sense, but it's not an obstacle course show. It's not, it's not simply that. It's, it's, you know, we, we look at our obstacle, the obstacle course on Ninja as a metaphor for life and that the people who go on it, they're, yes, they're trying to conquer the course, but they're usually trying to overcome something in their own life. And, and that's why we, we talk, you know, before they run in the course, we get you vested in who they are, invested in their story and what it means to them and the people around them. And that's as much of the show as the course, because if it was just an obstacle course show, it wouldn't work in prime time, not in a broadcast network. So, you know, both of those shows, you know, our, our two longest running shows, Hell's Kitchen, 22 seasons and American Ninja Warrior 15 and picked up for 16. Um, you know, on the surface, they, there wasn't like, there wasn't, you know, anything like it before they, they became broadcast network shows. Now, of course, Gordon Ramsay's everywhere. 
Now, of course, there's other ninja type shows that people are trying to create. But being first is hard. Being first is really, really hard. You know, you know this, John. I mean, it's you know what you've done with comedy and some of the you know some of the pioneering stuff that that you've done. Being first is hard because when you tell somebody about it, they 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 look at you sideways, and you just have to pursue it, and you have to rationalize why it's going to work and 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 why it's going to connect with people. And you know, the interesting thing about you know you know Ninja was Ninja was on a cable network. It was on G4. It's an accident how it became primetime on NBC. It was on G4. And as luck would have it for us, you know, NBC, uh, Comcast, which owned G4, E, um, Oxygen, had bought NBC Universal. And w- myself and the, the head of G4 went to NBC and purely as an act of synergy said, could you just put our finale on the air to sh- throw a spotlight on on our little cable show. And NBC says, well, we're not so sure if you're it's a male skewing network. And I said, you're missing it. You're missing what the show is. And they said, and after a lot of struggling, someone high above, because that's how synergy works, said, please put it on. And they actually put it on. <laughs> as, they put it on the same night as Hell's Kitchen. It was crazy. We had wow. Hell's Kitchen on Fox and American Ninja Warrior on NBC. And Hell's ran from eight to 10 and Ninja ran from nine to 11. And I was, I was more, I wasn't worried about Hell's because Hell's had already been established. I was worried about this little show from G4 and what it was going to do. Um, I just wanted to get a good rating. And we really worked hard. It's um, like, the stories about the people and, you know, to broaden it out as much as we could because we knew we were going on NBC. And as as it turned out, you know, Hell's won the eight o'clock hour and the nine o'clock hour. And then Ninja finished in second to Hell's at nine. And then at 10, when Hell's wasn't on, Ninja finished in first. So we won every time period. Uh, Paul Telegby, who was you know, head of alternative at NBC at the time, you know, he, he called me, he goes, Mr. Monday night, you just won all the time periods, huh? which was a great, great night. But it was also the opening that we needed for NBC to consider, you know, maybe we should put some of these ninja shows on NBC. And at first it was just a trial. They just put a few hours and the next year, a few hours. And then eventually they took, they took over the whole show. And we've been on NBC for, I don't know, 10, 10 or 11 years, uh, 15 years overall for the show. Um, but, and, and by the way, you know, it's a big, broad family show, and um, it's you know, it's not a male show. In fact, it's fifty-one forty-nine women to men, um, and those are those are reaches, and those are you know, you know. Sometimes you just have to try and take people along the journey that you believe in and be passionate about it. And um, you know, for those two shows, it worked out. It doesn't always work out, but those are two examples of things that uh, you know that. That, that we saw that we had to convince other people to to see with us. When you reach for talent. Yes. And, you know, television's why I was able to do what I do. I got pissed off at TV because I developed thousand shows and got three greenlit that went to pilot but never made series. Um, so I developed a system and we changed how comedy did business in 2016 yeah. with Darren Knight, Southern Mama. And it had never been done. We took him just for laughs and two years from the trailer in the Talladega Night, from the Talladega Talladega National Forest from one video that I found. So that's that's what I give the positivity from television. But when you talk about talent and you look at talent, mm-hmm. and I always, you know, I had this thought process in TV, you know, everybody had these great ideas. But the only time you ever really got any traction is when you had the right talent attached to an idea. 
Mm-hmm. What do you see in talent that gives you that green light effect? You know, because I always say, you know, a great talent, you ask them one question, they'll talk for 30 minutes. You know, what is your thought process on finding the right talent or reaching for the right talent? Yeah, I mean, every, every project, you know, has different requirements. And, uh, you know, a show like American Ninja Warrior, we went on with no with talent. You know, no, no one knew who Matt Eisman was at the time when, you know, when we started in the show. There were there were no famous faces on that show. It was the strength of the concept. But Matt was the perfect person to be on the show because he was such a great cheerleader. And, and he had this great, you know, beyond having a great voice, he had a great, uh, you know, sense of humor, a great way to get us excited about about the show. And then Akbar Baji Biamila, who's been with the show for 10 years, the, the two of them are, you know, they're the most passionate, you know, um, you know, commentators you could you could have on something like this. The two of them. The, you know the two of them together they they really find the balance between being really good announcers and also being good cheerleaders at the time and then we have Zuri Hall who's also amazing who does you know who's who's doing the interviews as well so to answer your question in terms of like you know finding the right talent it so depends on the project you know it is someone who's going to bring it to life which i think is what you're which you you may have been alluding to was you know people like to have famous faces people like to have you know people who are well known to bring you know some cachet or some marketing to your project but we all know that every show there's 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 four key ingredients to a show you know one is concept um you know what is your format what's your concept the other one is is talent is who is the talent you have to have the right talent to match the right concept the third one is execution and you have to have the the, the ability to execute. And then you have to have some freshness to your concept. You know, sometimes it's just a point of view. Sometimes it's just a different concept. But you have to have some freshness that you're offering something, something unique and something new. And to me, that's, that's th- those four principles is what I look at no matter what genre we're doing, because they really apply to, apply to everything. Sometimes, you know, a great talent <laughs> cannot save a format that's flawed or it's not well executed. And a great format or, 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 or yeah, a great format can come crashing to its knees with the wrong talent. So you, you need, you, you need everything working together. You need every combination of it working together. You know, in the book Reach, I talk about uh, Dwayne Johnson and getting him to work with us on the Titan games, which, which was, you know, which was a big reach for us because, you know, Dwayne's, you know, the biggest movie star in the world and, and getting him to, to focus and, and be interested in, you know, this, um, this athletic competition, uh, that we created, you know, took some work. But the one thing that, that, when we were developing the idea, the more and more we developed the idea, the more and more we thought about Dwayne Johnson and which was bad because when you're thinking about one person and you, you can't get them out of your head. And, uh, but sometimes when you, when, sometimes when you have a target, sometimes maybe it's easier to hit the target when you're so focused on that target. But the more and more we developed, the more and more we thought about the show, the more and more, you know, myself and the executives at NBC said, Oh my God, this is feels like a Dwayne Johnson project because looking at what Dwayne does on social media with his hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of followers and his inspiring story and his, his whole, you know, theory about being the hardest worker in the room and blood, sweat and respect and, everything that he's done with his career, you know, this was the show where we we're going to take ordinary people and make them into superheroes. And uh, it, it felt like it felt like it was it was right for Dwayne. But, you know, that was our estimation. As it turned out, it was. And, and yeah. you know, we had we it, it, it worked out. And, uh, you know, I had 
a phenomenal time working with Dwayne. He is a, 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 as amazing as you think he is. He's better than that. He's a great guy. I just want to kind of separate two things. Something I caught on what you said about passion. Mm-hmm. And I do think there are celebrities out there that may be put on a project or be writing out a 20-year resume that bring no value to anything. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there listening, I don't think <laughs> just because their name doesn't mean anything because they gave a 20 year resume and don't want to show up to work, you yeah. know, and, and that's going to cost you more money. But yeah. when you talk about passion or finding linear passion through from the project through the personality, you know, I, I think that talent has to have be passionate about what they're doing. It has to resonate with the project with themselves. And I think that can stand out more than just a name. So right. So true, John. Yeah, I mean, you've nailed it. I mean, you know, they, they have to play, they have to play ball and want to play ball and be, and, and be into the concept. If they're not, it's never going to work and people can see through it. If it's just a paycheck, it ain't going to work. And how do you, with this being the personality you are and being so successful, cause I really, uh, you know, it's, it's so tough to, play the game you play what was what does the family what's the family do around uh arthur smith was the was the what does arthur reach for when the family's around well I, I i will tell you one of the things that i believe in is that it's easier to reach when you're reaching from a strong foundation and and that foundation was my parents so uh who, who are no longer with us they taught me you know right from wrong i mean my father always said you know that there's never the wrong time to do the right thing and there's never it's never the right time to do the wrong thing. You know, they were very good at, you know, giving their children confidence in themselves. And 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 I mean, you're reaching from a strong foundation. I mean, I use the analogy of like, you know, when you when you're standing on a, a secure table and reaching for something, it's much yeah. easier to reach when you have when when you're it's much easier to reach from that than reaching from something that's wobbly or not secure. And, you know, I was blessed with great parents. That doesn't mean that if you've had a, you know, if you if you didn't have that in your life, that doesn't mean that you can't find a foundation with friends and families and other things and build on your foundation. But but it clearly, for me, my parents made all their children feel like they were special and they should try and not be afraid, and 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 that was very comforting through the years. So and never to get too full of themselves if you have success, you know, and 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 also, um, you know reach back and help others, which is another part of my reach philosophy. All the money that that uh, that I'm getting from the book um, is going to a foundation that I set up called the Reach Foundation. It gives money to uh, charities, to a select group of charities that lift people up in, so, in some way. I, I didn't I didn't write this book to make money. You know, for me personally, I wrote this book because it, I, I had this thing inside of me that I wanted to get, to get out there. I, I wanted to, you know, inspire people, entertain them because that's who I am. I'm an entertainer. But inspire them to to take chances and and to show by example with I think some interesting stories you know um, with some famous people and, and and people that everybody knows. But the message is the message is clear is is that you only realize your full potential unless you reach reach beyond what you think you can do. And, and as far as my family life, going back to your question, sorry, uh, it's tangents, all good. Tangents are us. That's me. It's uh, it's all good. <laughs> Thank you, John. All good. Yeah. No, I mean, I have two daughters um, and, a, and a great wife. Um, my, you know, my wife and I are complete opposites. She is the, <laughs> she is. Uh, well, you know, most... men and women aren't supposed to get along, are you right? You really... Yeah, right. Well, she is, <laughs> she is incredibly easygoing, um, patient, you know, relaxed, chill, and uh, all the things that I'm not. 
and uh, it works. It totally works. But I, but I got to say, when I'm off work, I'm I'm um, I'm a lot more easygoing. You know, I I'm simple family gatherings, being out with friends, going out for dinner, playing a little golf. That's the best for me. And and you know, even though I've been living in LA, you know, most of my friends aren't in the business. Most of my friends are just other in other jobs and stuff like that. Because when your friends are all in the business, as you know, Sean, it tends to get a little tends to get a little much, you know, it's, yeah. it's because you, there's no, there's no escape from it. I like that my, my best friend's a broker and a real estate developer and a lawyer and an accountant. I, I, I like that because uh, um, not that I don't love my entertainment friends, but sometimes I need a little break. I don't know. I've had this rationale too. It speaks to what you just said is I think a lot of times in television, because it's such a exciting, it's, it's exciting to be in the room. Um, I think it's good for you to have those other people because that helps you define shows better because you know more about real life because I think sometimes that environment can make people insular and they make bad television. I, I completely agree. And I'm always asking my friends and I'm always asking my friends and, and, and even when my when my kids were younger and I asked my kids friends, what are you watching? What do you like to watch? Why do you like to watch it? Stuff like that. You gotta you gotta stay connected. You know, working in sports all those years, I have two daughters, I had two sisters. I've been surrounded by women my whole life. And I am a huge sports fan. And I've been surrounded by people who are not sports fans. And so at, when I was producing sports, my goal was to get them. My goal was to reach out and get them interested. And how do I do that? Storytelling. You know, you know, one of the things that, you know, doing an Olympics and the thing that I learned, and of course I applied it later in life with Ninja and some of the other stuff that we do, is I used to do, I, I probably have shot in my Olympic days, 500 of those Olympic profiles. You know, the ones I'm talking about, John, the ones yeah. where you get to know the athletes and their story and you go to the hometown yeah. and, and why you care about them. And, you know, I realized that my, my wife and my daughters and my mom and my sisters, they all love sports movies. You know, they all love Rudy and, uh, Miracle, the rookie, uh, you know, they all love sports movies. And what is it about the sports movie that they like? Because they were inspiring, that they, they were vested in the character. They cared about their journey and, and they, and they love watching the Olympics, you know? So even when I was working in sports, my goal was to get them to watch the show. Cause if I got them, then I knew I had the sports fan because the sports fan was watching it for the game. If we want to find the book, where do we find the book? Right now it's available for pre-order. So um, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, uh, Target, et cetera, et cetera, or, in pub or at the publisher, Blackstone Publishing. And uh, it'll be out on, on June 6th, but uh, you can pre-order it now. I, I really appreciate, John. This was a lot of fun. Nice, nice. I, no, I appreciate you coming on the show. I really wanted to see some of my thought processes made sense to you. And I think totally. and I think some of these young talent out there that wants to be a producer, wants, wants to get into television, whatever it is, don't assume anything because I think if you read uh, Mr. Smith's book, it could change those assumptions. So maybe if you're out there listening, list, you know, go get that book and, and learn about the real life of being a TV producer. <laughs> yeah. But I appreciate it, man. It's good talking to you. I know. It's fun, John. Thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate your words and, and, and thank you for your support. Thank you for get, allowing me to get the message out there. No worries. This has been producer Arthur Smith and I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.